Welcome. In this episode, we discuss how adults can support young children when they are experiencing big emotions such as sadness. This is the Early Foundations Podcast with your host, Dr. Isela Garcia. Okay, hi everyone. Uh, Dr. Isela Garcia of Alessi Group here. And I would like to uh, chat a little bit uh, about big emotions, particularly sadness with children. Now, uh, before I begin that, uh, I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, I want to let you know that I have an upcoming session in Chino Valley. Uh, I believe it's not, obviously not tomorrow, Saturday, but next Saturday. So I'm excited about that. So I hope to see you uh, if you're willing to take the drive or if you're in that region. I'm looking forward to that session. It will be supercharged. And um, social emotional development supercharged. And what that means is that um, I have, I do a lot of work around social emotional development. This particular session is kind of like the best of the best. And I, it's only a one day session, um, but we, I do my best to try to help you really think through uh, some of the more challenging situations. But we have to start with some foundational elements that sometimes. Um, we we have to um, explore, we have to engage in, just because it sets, again, the foundation for our work throughout the entire day. So there may be some uh, replication if you have been to any of my other, my other sessions about those foundational core beliefs, but we need that. And of course, I always say this, uh, I'm sure you didn't memorize all of it the very first time you saw a session or were with me during one of my um, trainings. So I look forward to seeing all of you. I also want to do a shout out to Alessi Group. I spent the day, we spent the day together. Um, Tomorrow is my birthday. And so we did sort of a birthday celebration. And so that was lovely. And just thank you to them. They all work so incredibly hard to do the very best uh, that we can possibly do Uh, What's amazing about our group is that each one of us has such a core commitment to best practices, and we each believe wholeheartedly in the work that we do. Uh, We... And, and, and I think it's evident, you know, it's, there's integrity in the work we do because we believe it with our, with every bit of who we are. And so they are incredibly committed to doing incredible work. And so I just want to say thank you to them. And, um, you know, we, I couldn't do this work alone. I know that. I know that. So thank you to them. So I'm trying to think if I had any other announcements I wanted to um, make. And if not, then I'll go ahead and get started. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, today sadness. And let me tell you, I spend a lot of time talking about challenging behaviors because that's often what teachers uh, feel a little bit uncertain about, not a little bit. It's the topic of conversation anytime uh, people approach me or, you know, in sessions, people want to just chat about a particular kid or chat about a circumstance or chat about challenging behavior and what do I do and did I do this right? Um, even their own children, because 
you know, it's such a, it's, it's such a difficult topic because every child, every situation, every circumstance, um, really is unique. And so there isn't a one way to approach things. And that's what makes it so challenging when folks, you know, approach me and say, I have this child and, and this is what happened. And it's very hard to give very specific suggestions because every child is unique in terms of who they are, their personality, their their culture, their family um, influences, uh, your relationship with the child, it's all so uh, unique. And so it's very difficult to give sort of a, a one way to do things. Having said that, let's talk about sadness. Um, children experience sadness uh, throughout the day. And sadness, and I will tell you that from the very beginning of a day when a child comes to school, during that drop-off transition, children experience sadness. Uh, during a class, during the classroom time, maybe the child doesn't want to go to circle time. Maybe the child is tired. Maybe the child is um, just having one of those days where they just not feeling so great, and they are experiencing sadness. They're crying. They may be on the floor. I was actually at a at a restaurant earlier today, and there was a two year old who was like lying across the floor, crying, and you know what people would consider a tantrum. And of course, you get that those uh, those the judgment, right? I talk about judgment all the time. You know, right away, people are turning around, going, you know, my child would never do that, and you know, this is what I would do with him, and you know, he's misbehaving, and you know, we start to create all this judgment about a child who is experiencing distress. And so then throughout as the day progresses, we may have a child who is sad because there's a conflict between um, that child and another child. And maybe there's sadness because they want to stay outside and it's time to come inside. Maybe they don't want to go to nap time and there's sadness around that. So children, you know, sadness is, I think, an emotion that happens throughout the day uh, for some children. And it's often something I watch very closely uh, and how the adults support children who are experiencing sadness. And how we, you know, one of the things that I believe so wholeheartedly, and there's research to support this, is that we teach children how to be supportive and emotionally engaging with others by how we are with them. So, um, and, and let me kind of uh, explain that a little bit further. One of the things that I see with toddlers, and I see this with parents and I see this with teachers alike, but it's a really good example of what I'm trying to convey. With young children, so I'm talking infants and toddlers, let's say they're going to a childcare program and they want to be with mom and mom is dropping the baby off. And so mom hands baby over to the teacher and the teacher, you know, takes baby and mom kisses the baby and says goodbye. And the baby is distressed or the toddler is distressed and she starts to cry. Now she's crying because she wants to be with her mom. That's a very real emotion. And being with mom, she's my person. She's my caregiver. She's the one who loves me and who I love. Not that I don't love you as a teacher, but that's my mom. And we often will go, shh, it's okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Your mommy's going to be back. You're okay. And then we take an object like a rattle or something. What do I have in front of me? <laughs> a pen. <laughs> and we rattle it in front of the baby. 
and we go shh and we rattle it in front of the baby and we try to distract them. And I've seen teachers take the child and walk over to like the window and show them something that's outside or bring them over to a toy and just try to distract them because we want them um, to not feel sadness. And I know that comes from a very, that can come from a very, um, uh, from a good place that you don't want the child to have that that experience of feeling sadness. And so you're trying to distract them so that they no longer feel that. Now, um, so that's the picture. Okay. That's the picture. Now I want to look at it from an adult perspective. Okay. So from an adult perspective, let's say something pretty significant happened in your life, because you have to remember that what children are experiencing in that moment is as significant as something happening in our adult lives. And, and we tend to minimize it. We tend to think that it's not a big deal, that they'll get over it. But those emotions are very real to both us as adults and to children. And it, one of our biggest mistakes is that we just kind of foo-foo it. We kind of think that it's like not a big deal. And so when, if you were having a, a very difficult experience, let's say at work or in your personal life, and you came to me and was, and I get this a lot. I get a lot of teachers who come up to me about, or, or yeah, a lot of teachers come up and tell me about either their personal lives and something's happening with their children at home, um, something that's happening in the classroom. And they're like, or even a relationship with an administrator or a coworker that's causing stress. And, um, you know, you become very emotional about that experience. So what if in that moment, I said, Oh, you'll be oh, you're fine. You, you're okay. You're okay. Shh, shh, you're okay. You're okay. Here, let me show you there's an app. Let me show you. Let me show you. There's an app. Look, 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 look. Here's an app. Look, look, look. Babe, look, look. Look at the app. <laughs> I I doubt that um, it, uh, many people would tolerate that. And even if you tolerate it in the moment, you more than likely just would. Oh, you more than likely would um, not come back to me. It's disrespectful, and it's not saying, "Hey, I hear you. I hear you. Oh my goodness, look at." I hear what you are experiencing. Um, we don't always have the experience to say, I know what you're feeling. And it's not about you in that moment. It's not about you. You know, sometimes that happens too when like even an adult, they're experiencing, oh yeah, that happened to me. Oh yeah, I remember that. And we, we want to get, we want to be helpful that way. But really what a lot of folks when we're experiencing that kind of sadness is saying, you know, we just need some comfort. We want to know that someone can hear us and someone that we can just kind of lean on. All right. So that's in an adult perspective. And we've got to, we have to pay attention to that because again, we are building neural pathways in the brain that help that become the foundation for how the, ch how children will continue to experience the world, even into their adulthood. This whole emotional state of being and all the experiences that move into becoming those foundations in our brain start when we're very young. And so we have to pay very close attention to the language we use, the um, approaches we take, uh, and how we are in terms of our responsivity when children are feeling these big emotions. Now, having said that, when children are experiencing sadness, many adults are very uncomfortable with that. And this is especially true, I think, as the child gets older. See, we have a lot of tolerance or just, I would say, higher tolerance with infants and toddlers, because part of the way that they communicate, um, for lack of a better way to communicate, is to cry. 
And so we can open our hearts a bit more and be much more emotionally, I guess, connected, not always in tune, but connected uh, to what the child or that the child is experiencing some sadness. As the child continues to get older, it requires more um more effort from the teacher oftentimes and there are some children that will close it in and internalize those experiences and so it requires a teacher to be open-hearted and to be really in tuned to the emotional state of being of a child or children and what I mean by that is far too often older children and I'm talking I'm moving into now preschool into kindergarten first second third and fourth and beyond I think what happens is we then shift at some point in that elementary ed, early childhood, we shift from the experience of waiting, like being in tuned to the child and really paying attention to their emotional state of being, how they're engaging, what they're saying, um, their facial expressions, their body language, all of those things that help us get to know who they truly are. And then when they move into that third and fourth grade and beyond, we then wait for children to express that to us unless we have some extreme situations where a child might, you know, their behavior might shift pretty considerably that becomes noticeable. It requires a, a, um, a very in-tune teacher to recognize that there is something going on and it requires an in-tune teacher to be self-reflective of the relationship and how they can be very, um, how they can be present for the child. So let's talk more about being present for a child. When a child is feeling sadness, you have to really recognize whether you are feeling, what you are feeling. Are you uncomfortable? And why are you uncomfortable? Part of being fully present for children is understanding your own triggers and what it is that you are experiencing. So if you had uh, an experience or your upbringing where you were not given permission to cry, where you were being told that you were a, a crybaby or big girls or big boys don't cry um, or pull, you know, pull up your big panties, you know, and be a big girl. You know, it's like we have all of these sayings that we have to sort of shut down the experience of sadness. And so what happens is often we become adults who then don't know what to do with sadness. And so sadness then manifests into other emotions, um, irritation, anxiety, anger, um, uh, you know, all resentment because, and at the root of that is really feeling just sad. And, and, um, and oftentimes there's other emotions that might kind of ride along with that. And so, and then sometimes what happens is we might eat or do something else so that we no longer have to feel uh, the sadness or the pain that's often associated with sadness. So what we're trying to do is really become fully present for children. But if you are triggered by a child's sadness, and I see this a lot at the beginning of the school year with, with teachers who are annoyed when children continue to cry as they get to school in the morning from that home to school transition. I see children become, I'm sorry, yeah, when children are upset and I get teachers to say, she's still crying every day. She cries when her mom and she knows everything's going to be okay. And we're talking about two and three and four weeks into the school year. And I think that if you've ever experienced any kind of homesickness or uncertainty about those transitions in life, new job, new place to live, new, new town, new city, new state, all of those emotions of do I fit in? Am I going to be safe? Is this, does this feel right for me? Is this a good experience that, that I'm about to enter upon? All of those things are elevated tenfold for a young child, and we have such low tolerance for that. 
why do we have such low tolerance for that? Is it irritation? Because I was told at some point, you know, be a big girl, you know, that you you're fine, you're okay. Um, and that is one of the biggest things that I hear across all ages. So from infancy all the way up, I hear teachers say, you're okay, you're okay. You're okay, you're okay. Um, and I think that it's one of the disrespectful things that we say to children, because as an adult, if I was in a place of being sad or distressed for whatever reason, if someone else came to me and said, you're okay, you're okay. For me, it's like, apparently you don't hear what I'm saying, or you don't see how I am feeling right now, because in this moment, I am not okay. Now, it's not to say that I won't get to the place of being okay, but right now I am not okay. And that experience has to be honored. And so, because again, we're trying to teach children and build those foundations of safety. We want children to know how to be emotionally responsive and to be emotionally available. And so the way that we do that is being emotionally available. So remember, the first thing I said was, what, if you're triggered, why are you triggered? What is it within you that's irritated by children's sadness? The second thing is that sometimes when a child is sad, we don't know what to say. And if we say anything, we're afraid that the child's going to get even sadder or cry even more, or it's going to make the situation worse. And so we ignore the child. I have walked into many, many classrooms where a child is sitting in, maybe they have a safe place, and they're sitting in this safe place or they're sitting in timeout or they're sitting by themselves at a table or they're sitting by, the, by themselves by the door. They're sitting somewhere or standing somewhere by themselves crying. And I grant, I know I, you know, I work with kindergarten teachers. So there's one teacher and there's like, you know, 25, 30 children in the classroom. I get it that it's really hard to attend to a child who might be having those emotional, um, an, an emotional experience. Um, but it's important for children to know that you as the pillar of strength, you as the, the, the person who is there to help keep them safe and help them feel connected, that you are there to provide that level of support to them, that you are emotionally available. And so I, and I'll give you an example of what I've seen. I've seen classroom teachers, um, maybe let's say running a group time or that they're doing an activity, a child is crying on the other side of the room. And many, many, many times I walk into the classroom and they, the teacher has the need to tell me why they've left a child over there. So they're like, oh, well, she doesn't want to come to circle time or, you know, she's a new child or she, um, you know, she, she stubbed her toe outside or, you know, that whatever the reason is. And as a three, four, five, and six, and seven-year-old child, and I would say even an older child, the message that I want to convey to that person is that I am here for you. I am here for you, and I am doing my best to create a safe place for you to feel what you feel. And so we have to respect and honor that space. And so my very first go-to is the first moment I get. And even if I can't go in that moment, let's say I'm by myself in the classroom, I go over to the child and I come down to their level and I get as close, you know, I get in very close proximity, whatever's comfortable for the child. So you have to be able to gauge that and know children well, that the child who you're working with well. And you, with your whole heart open, you say, I am here. I am here right now. I need to, whatever is it? I need to go over to circle time. I need to, would you like to sit next to me? Would you like to come with me? 
Um, and or in a few moments, once I get the kids settled into doing whatever it is you're doing, I will be back to check on you. But I am here for you so that they know they're not left alone in this situation. See, if you leave a child alone and there's a part of you that feels irritated or just like, oh, there she goes again, then that's about your frustration. And you've got to check that. Because you're not being wholeheartedly, fully open and available to the child when you do that. And that's a really important thing to understand that as early childhood professionals and even mothers and fathers, that our responsibility to children is to be open hearted and to be available for them to feel these big emotions. Because the more often we squash it, the less often they will come to us. So these foundations are not only critical for that emotional development, but these little things become big things when they get older. And if you want children to come to you when they get older for the big things, you better be there for the little things. And so, and that means at the beginning of the school year as well, these little tiny things that might be um, children experience distress from, we have to really work at being emotionally available to children. Okay. So then the third thing, I think that was three. I talked about um, the, the, the third thing, I think it's the third thing. <laughs> I'll probably listen to this and go like, that was the sixth thing. <laughs> um, the other thing that happens, uh, so we ignore the child, right? We ignore the child because we don't know what to do or we don't want it to get worse. Um, other times is that, so we avoid, we try to distract and we ignore. So that's what we do. Um, and that's what I see very often. So let me tell you sort of what I do, um, when I work with young children who are feeling sadness, I always think about, and this is true for just about everything I do in terms of social emotional development. I always think about what is it that I hope to be able to be the model for the child? Like, what is it that I want them to learn from this experience um, and this engagement? And I don't mean it from a teacher place. I mean it from a heart place. I mean, I want, I want my daughter, I'll say my daughter, for example, to know, to be able to be emotionally available to others, to be open hearted, to um, allow people, give permission, the feeling, give permission to others to feel what they feel. And that I'm going to, um, I'm going to honor that experience. It's, it's actually what I call holding space. And so I'm going to honor that experience that you are having. That doesn't mean that I have to agree with, with what's happening, but that I'm going to honor that experience for you because it's something that you are um, experiencing in this moment. So the very first thing, and I'm talking about all ages here, all ages. So I, I do this with the baby babies and I do this all the way up and I even do this with grownups. Um, so a child is feeling sad. And I'll give you an example of um, what happens in just about every program I've ever been in. Uh, that drop-off time is a very difficult time. You get children who have a difficult time transitioning to school. So the very first thing, again, I'm going to tell you, you have to check yourself. Okay. What is it? Are you triggered? Are you irritated? All those things you have to check yourself because you have to own that. The child isn't creating that within you. That's a choice that we are making in that moment. 
And so we can choose differently. We can always choose differently. We can choose to see through the lens of love. And that is a choice that only you can make as a classroom teacher and as a parent. You can remember that he is giving, he's not giving you a hard time. He is having a hard time and to open your heart. So change the lens of irritation into, I can be the expression of love. Okay. I can be the pillar of strength. I am the pillar of strength. And so I become fully and completely present and I get how hard it is to be present for a child and then still be able to manage and oversee the rest of the children. But in that moment, I come down to the child's level and I lean in and I said, you are feeling really sad right now. You really want to be with your mama and your mama just left for work. I know you're feeling so sad right now. And so in that moment, I'm validating for the child that their emotions are real and that I hear them and that she has permission to feel that. And this permission piece is very, very, very important. And I don't mean like permission, but I mean permission. And let me explain that. I know too many grownups that are completely, completely um, unavailable emotionally. Grownups who have a difficult time expressing love and receiving love. See, and a lot of us women are really good at extending love. We're really good at that. We're caregivers. We'll take care of. But we have a much more difficult time receiving love, being vulnerable, being the one to um, be taken care of. Uh, that is hard for many of us. And if you've ever experienced any kind of trauma or disconnect or, um, you know, d difficult experiences in your childhood or simply got messages of be a big girl, stop your crying, what's the matter with you? You know, when we get those messages that way, that's not about the child. That's about the adult and their level of tolerance and discomfort around the feelings that the child is having. So the key here is to help the child, you know, work through the experience. When we shut it down, the child doesn't then learn how to work through the experience. We have to move through an emotion, okay? And when we don't move through emotions, and again, this is my experience with grownups, these emotions get squished down, squished down, squished down, and then they build and they build. And this is where we get resentment. And, and oftentimes there's fear wrapped up in there. And all of these messages that we get about feeling these big emotions and the discomfort people have around us, then we don't know how to express it. And so it manifests in lots of very unhealthy ways. And we have a very difficult time in relationships. As a result, um, relationships is like that and interpersonal issues is one of the biggest things I get phone calls and emails about. And uh, the truth of it is, a lot of that begins at the very, very early parts of our life. And so that's what we're trying to do is help children develop these skills. So I think about what is it that I want the child to learn as a foundational experience. And so I key in and I validate, but that means that I am connected at the heart and that it is never the responsibility of a um, child to reach out to a an adult, uh, a teacher, a parent. It is always the responsibility of the parent to reach out to the child or to the, the teacher to reach to the out to the child to um, extend love. 
And far too often, especially with older children, because we get triggered and we get annoyed by their behavior. Um, and they become much more sophisticated, you know, about how they see the world and, you know, their language becomes much more irritable <laughs> or irritating. <laughs> and so we have to check our own, um, our, our own, um, you know, lack of better word, baggage, um, and why it is that we're irritated by that. You know, as my daughter moves into adolescence, you know, there are some things that she will say or that she will do that I'm going to interpret through my lens, through my lens of my experience. And so I find this very fascinating. I'm going to, I'm going to sidestep, of course, right? I'm going to sidestep a little, little bit because um, I've learned, no, I've learned, I've applied, I'm seeing things that I think happen uh, a lot with older children and um, with grownups, especially around that idea of attitude and disrespect. Like we have this perception that children are somehow being disrespectful or have attitude with us. And I'm, I'm learning as I watch older children try to make sense of the world, because that's what happens when they move from out of, out of early childhood into this adolescence phase. They really start to um, try to figure things out. And you have to remember, it's, it is a messy time in terms of their brain. There's all kinds of misfiring going on. The brain's reorganizing itself. There's lots of stuff happening at this time. And far too often, we react because we are interpreting their um, words, their eye rolls. We're interpreting all that through our lens, through our experiences. And what I've learned, even with my own daughter, she'll say something and I'll be like, you know, what was that tone? And then I'll realize that she doesn't, that the tone wasn't necessarily what she meant behind it. It's the way that I received it because of my own lens and my own experiences. And so sometimes we jump on children um, for reasons that that really wasn't intended. And children and teachers will shut children down older, old when they're especially when they're older, because we have lower tolerance. It sounds disrespectful, but they're still trying to make sense of the word, the world, and trying to figure out the language to use, the tone to use. It, it, it's there's all of this stuff that's happening, and. Um, if we came from a place of help, let me help them learn how to engage in a way that is respectful, that the way that there's that we can have a reciprocal relationship so that we can communicate effectively. If we come from a place of let me help you learn how to do that, and part of the way I do that is to model it, then we can understand that it's the process of learning without jumping into conclusions that the sh child should already know how to do this. So it's a really big thing. It's a big idea. Um, but it really requires self-reflection. And for you to understand why it irritates you. Um, too often we want to blame the child. He was so disrespectful. I can't believe what he said. I can't believe how he said that. Da, 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 da. And yeah, sometimes we move into that experience because that continues to be a repetitive pattern that appears. And it be, then it becomes the dance that we've created as a parent, as a teacher. And so it's important for us to be self-reflective of my role in that instead of just blaming the child. Okay, so let me go back to um, the child who at drop off and the child doesn't and, and now I'm being fully present right and I say, you really want to be with your mama right now. Okay, now I don't go into I don't go into, um, you know, she's going to be back later today. Um, you do this every day. Um, you know, she comes back every day. Um, you're okay. You're okay. I don't do that. 
Um, what are the other things that might be said? I'm trying to think of, um, or will we try to do the distracting thing as I shared before? Um, and so I validate and then I'm present. And then I will tell you, this is a, something that teachers will sometimes do. Um, if you've implement, implemented strategies for children to be able to move and, you know, if you've had any, any training in conscious discipline or other um, trauma-informed care, you know that deep breathing is a really important part of moving from the reptilian part of our brain, our brainstem, into the prefrontal cortex. And so, you know, the deep breathing is an important thing. Now, it isn't appropriate in most cases, unless it's something that you have been practicing so much that it's a part of how we do our life at school to then say, let's take a couple deep breaths. It really depends on who the child is. It depends on your relationship with the child. It depends on how, again, much this is a part of your classroom um, everyday life experience. But what I do is I take those deep breaths. So I model that. And I take those deep belly breaths, three big belly breaths, and I'm fully present in that experience. Now, I'm not, you know, this doesn't have to last 10 minutes. This can be done in a, in, in a few minutes. But the first step is to say, you are feeling, or it seems to me like you might be feeling. That's the, the script that I prefer to use. It seems to me that you might be feeling sad right now. You're feeling really sad right now. Your mama left for work. And so, um, and the reason why, and I'm not even sure how, if, if, if this is what I said earlier in the, in my little talk here, um, I do prefer saying you might be feeling now, the reason why I say might is because again, it's an educated guess. I'm just going to make a guess here. Now, um, in conscious discipline, one of the things that they say is to describe what the child is, is, um, is experiencing or, or what you see. So you have big tears coming down and your head is drooped and you are, you know, sitting like this. And so you might be feeling, okay. So to describe that, to make the connection to this is what sadness looks like. Okay. Um, so the my piece is because it's an educated guest. Again, you can describe it. It sounds goofy in the beginning. You, you really feel like, um, this just sounds stupid. <laughs> But you do it, you do it and do, you do it and do it and then it becomes your pattern and you'll start to see the impact that it has um, because it is pretty significant. And then the next part of that is um, to, to, and then, oh, that you might be feeling. And the reason why I don't say you are sad right now. And again, I don't remember what I said initially because, you know, it's that process of just remembering each time you say it. Um, you might be feeling is because feelings change. And when we say you are sad, it's too definitive. And why this is important is because sometimes we say to children, oh, you're so kind. You are so loving. You are so helpful. And there are, you are so bad. You are just so bad. And what happens is children then start to go, oh, you know, those kids, especially that internalize those messages, they go, oh yeah, I'm always helpful. I am always. And then they become grownups have a really hard time saying, hey, right now I really can't be helpful because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stretched too thin. And so they have, it becomes a part of their identity. And so we want children to recognize that these experiences that, they're, that they are having are simply emotional states of being and they, they're ebbs and there's an ebb and flow to that. So we, they change, they change. And in this moment right now, I am feeling. So go back again, get in touch with what it is I am experiencing if I'm being triggered and then I am fully present. That means I open my heart. 
That might, means that I acknowledge what it is that the child might be experiencing um, and feeling, right? I take three deep breaths or as many breaths that I can possibly take in that short duration of time. Um, still fully present. And sometimes when I will tell you that sometimes when you say you really want your mama right now, you really want your mama right now, they go, ah! and you go, oh, that just made it worse. <laughs> it does happen. It does happen. But how many times have you been like on the verge of like a meltdown and you've held it together and see, we we're ashamed of that. We're ashamed of feeling sadness. And for whatever reason, especially men, but women as well, we're ashamed of feeling that sadness. And so you're barely holding it together. And I know everyone has experienced that at one point in your life. You're barely holding it together, whether it's work or it's kids or it's personal stuff, whatever it is, it could be hormones. You're barely holding it together. And then what happens is somebody comes over and says, are you okay? And you're like, oh, and then you just like totally melt down. We've all had that experience, right? And so it's, and then that person's like, whoa, <laughs> I just asked you if you were okay. <laughs> so it's like, I wasn't prepared for all of that, right? But the truth of it is, we have to move through the emotion. Because when we squish it down, it becomes distress, which then releases cortisol. And then we stay in that reactive state of being and it makes it difficult for us to work. It makes it nearly impossible to learn. And so all of those make us sick, physically sick. And so um, these are habits that we really want children to, to have for the rest of their lives. But we have to be able to, um, to do it ourselves, quite honestly. Okay, so yes, that happens. A child will melt down sometimes and then you're, you'll <laughs> think about me and go, oh, I just made it worse. No, you're allowing the child to move through the experience, okay? And then again, you take the deep breaths and now you transition the child. Now you, you guide them slowly into whatever it is that you are working on. Not from a place of distraction though. Please honor that. Don't come from a place of, let me show you this. Look at, look at how pretty this is. You just simply say, um, let's see if what we can do. Let's see what we can find to do right now or whatever it is that you're moving into. What I like to do, if I have the availability to do this, is I keep the child close to me. So if I'm at circle time, this is why I don't like assigned seating at circle time. You know where they have like the little stickers or the little whatever at the, at the circle time? Um, I don't like that. Or assigned desks or assigned seats. And I don't like that because um, I want to be able to sit somewhere and kind of say, you know, Johnny, come over. Come, come, you can sit next to me. And as I'm talking to the rest of the children, I'm still being fully present and available. So I've gotten, you can't see my arm, <laughs> but I'm wrapping my arm around the child or, or holding their hand. Um, even putting in, you know, younger children, you know, you wouldn't do this like a 12 year old, <laughs> nine, 10 year old, but um, maybe a, a younger child sit them in my lap so that I can just that that I am being fully present. And I know that you are feeling sad right now. We have to get comfortable with the, the sadness that they're feeling the big emotions that they're feeling because um, it is nearly always our issue and not theirs. Please don't try to push them through the emotion. Please don't try to minimize it. 
um, using language, uh, like again, like you're a big girl or, you know, what's the matter with you or, um, you know, why are you crying still? All of that is inappropriate. And, uh, you know, I would never, ever say that to my best friend. And if I wouldn't say that in my relationships, now some of you would, and I would say to you, don't do it. It's, it's, it's disrespectful and it's not wholehearted and it's not, um, loving. And really that's what we're trying to do is create a more loving, peaceful experience of life. And so anyhow, I'm trying to see if there's anything else. Um, and then transition. Okay. And I am going to look to see, I'm on Zoom here. So I'm going to see if I have any questions. Oh my goodness. I've been speaking for 40 minutes. Sorry. I actually went on saying that I was only going to talk for, <laughs> for 10 minutes. That never happens, does it? I think I did pretty well on the week of the young child. Um, but for topics like this and, and sadness is something that we can definitely uh, go on and on about. I actually went uh -oh. on saying that I was only going to talk for, <laughs> for oh, 10 minutes. That's me. Sorry. Okay. So if there are any questions, I've got two folks on, I see. So if anybody... Um, has any questions about sadness. Uh, and this is a practice. This is a practice, especially because we are busy. We want to move through things quickly. Um, I will tell you, I'm going to tell you a story here. Okay. I'll tell you a story and we're going to move this into a podcast. So I'm just letting uh, <laughs> Regina or Marisa know that, you know, you can decide whether to, to add this or not add this to the, to the story. But let me tell you, um, a story about a little boy. We went on a field trip to, uh, I think it was Home Depot. We went on a field trip to Home Depot. And we, we I had a, 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 you know, all of the kids I've worked with, or like 98% of the kids I've worked with have some severe um, trauma that has most, a lot of the children have been in foster care, have been in circumstances where they had experienced abuse, neglect, um, or family members that just couldn't be fully present and emotionally engaged with their child. Those are just the kids I have always worked with. And um, so we were at Home Depot, we were going to build something and uh, field trips were something that I did quite a bit because not only was it good for the educational experience and the, re the connection to the project that we were working on, but it was always also significant because I wanted to help children learn how to be in a um, at the store, you know, and, or a play or, you know, like what, what are the social graces? What are the ways that we are when we are in an audience? Um, you know, we would go to, you know, plays and, you know, how, what do you do? When do you clap? And do you hoot? Do you howl? You know, it's like, how, how do we do that in the world? So we went to Home Depot and we were at the end of the trip and he was about to, he was kind of starting to spiral out because it was just too overwhelming for him. And I knew that that might be the case. So I did all this preventative stuff. Like I, you know, he was with me the whole time. I connected with him throughout the course of the experience. I gave him some very specific jobs. And then all of a sudden it was like he hit his breaking point. And so the rest of the children and, and as a group, uh, one of the things that we worked on was being very uh, respectfully aware of what each of us uh, needed and how we supported each other. So when a child was in distress, children knew what to do because we talked about it and every child needed something different, but we were at Lowe's. And so we had, um, at another 
I had uh, actually some volunteers and another teacher who took the other children and they went and paid for everything and went, um, I know probably stood up front somewhere and the child was having a meltdown in the lumber area of, um, of Home Depot. Now I'm with this kid. And so there's an assumption, of course, that the child might be my child. You know, it's like, and I start to get the stare, the judgment stare, you know, that parents get all the time. And in that experience of Lowe's, he's literally laying on the floor and he is screaming and yelling, right? I mean, just like out, just out. Now he isn't being aggressive in this moment. And this is a child who has a history of being aggressive. And so he often would take something and throw it across the room and break something and that guy even tried to like attack adults, that kind of thing. And so in that moment, we're in the middle of Lowe's and, uh, or not Lowe's, Home Depot. And I'm sitting on the floor and I'm taking deep breaths. And I'm, you know, I have learned by this point in my career that judgment can, you know, judgment doesn't serve anyone. So you can continue to look at me and snicker and make all these comments. And I'm going to be okay with that, you know, because you get to own that experience. You don't know all of the story. You don't need to know all the story. So you get to see through the lens of your life experience and make your judgment. And that's fine. That's fine. I can completely. um, So that part I was aware of, but wasn't engaged emotionally in that experience. So I took a couple deep breaths and you know, it's so often where we want to just go quick, like, you know, hurry up and get, and I've seen this, I've seen it so many times, you know, we get embarrassed, we get irritated. This has happened. The kid's screaming, everybody in Home Depot can hear him. And I'm taking a couple of days and I'm sitting on the floor with him and I'm simply being present for him. And I say to him, because remember when a child is in this place of distress, when they are sad, when they are um, crying, when they're screaming and all that, they're in the reptilian part of the brain, which means that their brain is now offline. They're, they're not their whole brain, but their prefrontal cortex is offline. So if you sit there and say, well, if you, if you, um, act, if you get up and you stop crying, then I'm going to give you a special treat when you go to the bus. Or if you stop doing that, you know, we're, if you, if we don't get to school back in time, we're not going to get to do this. You know, it's like when we do that kind of crap, that's not helpful to the child. And so what he needed right there is just to be for me to be fully aware and fully engaged and fully responsive to his emotional need in that moment. So I took a couple deep breaths and I simply said something to the, to the, to the, um, I just simply said, (laughs) I'm getting tired. I simply said, um, this was, you're feeling really tired right now. I know this, this, sometimes these kinds of trips can feel pretty, pretty hard. And he looked, he rolled over because he was, you know, crying. And he was, that's when he was starting to now move into the emotional state of being right there. He was starting to move out of the, you know, what I call the freak out place. He's starting to move into this place. And he rolled over and he looked at me and he nodded and he just needed a moment. And instead of me saying, you know, we're going to be late or why are you acting like this? Or come on, let's get up and go. Instead of me trying to push through that very, very quickly, I simply put my hand out and I looked at him in, in, you know, those eyes that you really open your heart because there are eyes, eye contact is powerful. You've heard me say that. And so the eyes of open hearted is very different than the eyes that you are irritating the crap out of me right now. 
and you need to pull your crap together. You know, you know, there's a different experience from that. And I simply just looked at him very wholeheartedly and put my hand out. I didn't attempt to touch him or anything like that. And he rolled, he pulled his hand and he held onto my hand and I started to take deep breaths with him. And I just tried to tune into him. When he was ready to get up, he sat up and then I made my, I made myself available if he needed a hug, if he needed to sit in my lap. And as people are walking by, they're staring at this experience again, probably making judgment. But what is most important is to be fully present for the child. And so I ended up sitting there and rocking. And one of the things that I used to do quite a bit as a classroom teacher, and yeah, I worked with kindergarten kiddos. So these, you know, pretty big kids. Um, and I would do, you are my sunshine, but I changed the words because I don't like you make me feel because I, I think it's a bad lesson that anyone can make you feel anything without your consent. And so I changed the words, um, but you are my sunshine is something that I hummed quite a bit to children or um, would sing that. And so I did that in the middle of, of, of Home Depot, um, rocking this child. So um, that experience of being fully and completely in tuned to children is something you have to work at. And if it's something that you didn't get as a child because someone told you to shut your feelings down, it could have been a teacher, it could have been a parent, it could have been a lot of people. If you were embarrassed by um, being emotional, feeling, expressing sadness or tears, if you um, just didn't get the emotional connection and felt safe enough to be able to express yourself from that place, then this might be very difficult for you. I didn't get that as a kid. I didn't get any. I, I, I got pockets of it from other family members, but definitely not from, from, you know, my mom. And so, and that's oftentimes, not always, men are very, very good at this, um, or can be very, very good at this as well. But in, in my, um, circumstance, that would have been my person. And she was not able to do that because of her own upbringing and her own emotional disconnect. And so I had to learn this as a grown up. I had to learn how to move into this space by intentionally practicing what felt very uncomfortable for me. And I practiced and I practiced and I practiced and I practiced. And when it was easier for me to say, stop it, stop your crying. When it was easier for me to say, I don't want to hear it right now, walk away from me. When it was easier for me to neglect the situation that was happening because of my level of discomfort, I pushed and moved into that experience and became fully present with the child and recognize that that was my issue and it wasn't the child's. And so I, I, if this is you, I, um, I wish you well, and I challenge you. I, um, hope that you are willing to take this challenge as um, an experience that could really change your life. So it's not changing the lives of children, but really changing your life as well. Because what happens is when you become emotionally in tune to yourself, you start to really live in alignment with what you believe and what you feel. And, um, and that I think is our quest and our journey into uh, peace and happiness and all of those joyful experiences that we all are looking for, um, having more in our life. So having said all that, I appreciate that you are here and, um, yeah, reach out to us if you have any questions about this and I'm more than willing to answer any questions. So thank you all very much. Have a good night.